Our scripture this morning is from Isaiah chapter 8, 22 to chapter 9, verse 7. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and evermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. I'm just going to pray for us. Um, Father, we love you. We thank you for... Uh, who you are for us, what you've done for us. Um, we thank you for your word um, that is a lamp to our feet, lights up the path before us. Um, thank you, Jesus, for shining on us in the darkness. Um, Spirit, we ask for your help again. Um, like we do every week, um, we need you. Um, illuminate this word, Lord, and let us see Jesus. For these things in your name, amen. All right. Um, hey, five days to Christmas. Who's excited? Hey, come on. It's okay to be excited. It's okay. Um, I know Advent, we, we talk about uh, a lot uh, about Advent being that kind of waiting in the darkness. There's kind of that um, desire in our anguish. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't be excited for Christmas, okay? It should be. Um, we love Christmas. The world loves Christmas. Um, uh, it's definitely obviously been kind of overrun by capitalism and commercialism. It's about presence and getting and consuming and stuff like that. But I think outside of that, or maybe underneath it all, um, the, the world loves Christmas because um, it's meant to be that time of tranquility, isn't it? Um, it's that one time of the year where we long for things to be uh, peaceful. Um, I just think of Andy Williams and his song, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. You know, it's the most wonderful time of the year, kids jingle belling and everyone telling you to be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the happiest season of all. I'm going to start singing it, you know. 
holiday greetings and gay happy meetings. Friends come to call us the happiest season of all. Uh, be parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, caroling out in the snow. Be scary ghost stories. I don't know how he kind of gets into Halloween there, but um, the tales of glories of Christmases long ago. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Um, much mistletoeing, our hearts will be glowing. Loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time of the year. That's what we want Christmas to be like, isn't it? Um, just one day of year when everything is perfect. Um, ask my mom. I'm Christmas guy through and through. I used to sleep next to the Christmas tree. It's just in my blood. I love Christmas. Even this year, it's what I'm going to try to attain that morning is that perfect Christmas morning. Um, living room is going to be pristine. The tree is going to be looking good. Candles are lit. Presents on. The carols are going to be classic and at just the right time. Uh, uh, volume. The kids are going to come down excitedly, yet quietly and serenely, dressing gowns. <laughs> we'll get take that picture that we always do on the on the steps. They're going to be happy. Uh, they're going to their eyes are going to light up when they come into that living room. They're going to be excited and and thankful for every one of their gifts. Um, uh, later on, we'll share that perfect meal. The the turkey is going to be juicy. You know what the day goes like. Um, that's what we want. Um, and the reason I think underneath all of that. We want that peace, that tranquility, that kind of perfect things being the way they're meant to be is because that's what the Bible tells us Christmas is for. Uh, Christmas is for peace. Um, Luke chapter 2, the angels uh, go to the shepherds in the field. They announce the birth of Jesus, the Savior who has come into the world. Multitude of of, uh, heavenly hosts appear before them and they cry out, glory to God in the highest, what? Peace on earth. Um, we slap that on all the Christmas cards. That's put it in the carols. That's the message of Christmas. Christmas means peace on earth. And that's what we expect. That's what we long for. Um, and the reason we long for peace, we are just desperate for peace. Uh, it's twofold. It's, firstly, it's because that's what you were created for. We'll kind of go into that. But second reason we long for peace is because it's not what we are experiencing, is it? At peace it's not how we would describe the world we live in. Um, peace might be the, the last word we would use to describe our experience uh, in this world. Um, just, just look around and see, don't we? Obviously, 2020 is going to be marked by, hey, coronavirus pandemic, 73 million cases worldwide, 1.65 million uh, COVID-related deaths. It's just the tip of the iceberg, though, isn't it? There's so much going on underneath those headlines. War continues to rage through uh, the countries. There's still war happening in Afghanistan. In 2019, 42,000 people died in Afghanistan. Um, 20,000 people died in Yemen. Um, Last year, 35,000 people died in the Mexican drug war. How how much can you tell me about that? Hardly anything. Um, Peace is one of the very last words we'd use to describe the world we live in. Yet, it's the one thing that we so desperately long to attain, isn't it? The beauty of Christmas, though, is that it's the very thing that Christ came into this world to establish. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. And that's the message of hope that Christmas brings, that the Savior who is born will be called Prince of Peace. He comes to establish a government, a kingdom of never-ending peace. Um, it's important to understand, I guess, just the, the, the difference between our understanding of what peace is and the biblical understanding or teaching of, of what peace is, because um, we, we tend to think of peace as just the, the absence of, of conflict. Um, it's when war ends, it's when quarreling 
uh, ceases, and when those things stop, then we experience peace. Um, our daughter Ida, uh, she's five, and she's at school, and they, you know, at school, they ask you, what do you want for Christmas? And most of the kids say a scooter or an Xbox or whatever people are playing. And it uh, gets to Ida's turn, and she just says, I just want everyone to get along. Sweet, isn't it? The teacher said that, kind of doting on her. Um, really, really sweet. But then in another situation, again, she was asked, what do you want for Christmas? And she said again, I just want everyone to get along. And by that time, you're like, hey, you're being really cute, but you're, they're, we're going to call social services on us because they just think <laughs> our house is just constant shouting and fighting. Um, it's not totally untrue, but I just, I just want everyone to get along. Um, that's our idea of peace, the absence of conflict. Um, the absence of war and fighting. But the biblical perspective of of peace or shalom, um, it's a a lot more robust than that. Um, In the Bible, it can mean the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. Um, The most basic kind of meaning of shalom is completeness or wholeness. Um, You get a sense of what that word means in Deuteronomy 27, where uh, Moses commands the people of Israel, once they cross over the Jordan into the promised land, uh, they are to build an altar uh, to the Lord. And he says in verse 5, And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones. And that word uncut is that word for shalom. It means uh, these, these stones that were complete, that were unbroken, that they don't have any cracks in them. Um... Another idea of shalom is, you know, when, when uh, a Jewish person would greet you with shalom, with uh, hello or goodbye, they say shalom. Uh, that's from the Bible as well. So when David goes to greet his brothers during war, he asks about their shalom. He's concerned with this, their state of being. Is your shalom complete or is it kind of falling apart? Um, the main idea is that in, when any area of your life is, is out of whack, your shalom breaks down and it needs to be restored um, so when you use it as a verb to bring shalom, it means to, to restore or to, to make complete again. Um, you see it all through the scriptures. So when Solomon um, finishes, he completes the temple, he brings shalom there. Uh, in Proverbs 16, to mend a broken relationship means to bring shalom into that relationship. Um, when, when rival kingdoms would, would make shalom with one another, it doesn't mean they just stop fighting. It actually means they start working together to... Uh, for each other's benefit. Um, another example that you see um, is if one of your animals uh, damages some of your neighbor's crop, you would shalom them. You would, you would make shalom by paying for the damages. So there was uh, a, a repayment that needed to be made there. And when you did that, you would bring shalom to that situation. You take what's missing and restore it to wholeness again. That's the biblical understanding of peace or shalom. It's not just in the absence of conflict. It's restoring what is broken to completeness again. Shalom at its very core is when things are the way they are meant to be. Um, It's when things are the way they are meant to be. And that's not our experience at all, is it, in this world? Um, If there's one thing we can agree on, it's that things are not the way they are meant to be. Um, We experience the complete opposite of that. We experience brokenness, darkness, Isaiah says. It says broken shalom, and we experience that in, our, in the world. Just read the news. Uh, we experience it in our relationships with one another. We experience it within our own self. A brokenness, a darkness, a, uh, a breaking down of shalom. 
That's the experience of every single person in this room this morning. Um, So the big question really is, well, why? Why is everything broken? Why does darkness seem to be the default in our world? The Bible gives a pretty straightforward uh, answer for that, and you see it from the very beginning of our story in Genesis, uh, that darkness is the result of humanity turning our back on God. That's the, the, the broken shalom, the, the brokenness in this world. It's a result of us turning our back on God. You see that in the opening chapters of Genesis. Adam and Eve created to live in perfect shalom, in, in perfect loving union with their father, with one another, things being the way they are meant to be. And you know the story. Chapter 3 shows us uh, it's because of their disobedience in eating the fruit of that one tree that their father said not to that darkness enters the world. And, and you see what happens is they, they felt shame for the first time. Uh, they, they felt the need to cover their naked bodies. They ran and they hid from God. They were afraid, uh, Gen- uh, Genesis 3 says. They were afraid of God. Why were they afraid of God? It's because they knew they had broken shalom with God. They stopped trusting him and started trusting what the serpent said, and they wanted to elevate themselves. And the result of that was this broken relationship with God. And in chapter 3, God explains to them um, and the serpent what the results of this broken shalom will be. Um, He tells them that their experience in this world will be things not being the way they are meant to be, and brokenness, darkness, fleeting shalom. For the women, there will be almost unbearable pain in childbirth, Um, There will be enmity and strife between their relationships, especially between husband and wife, man and woman. Uh, He says the ground will be cursed, thorns and thistles in the way of their gardening. Their their laboring will be toiling with sweating and death. This is the human experience ever since. Darkness, brokenness, it's the result of humanity turning our back on God. And, And remember Isaiah what he talks about in chapter 8, this is the, the context of, of Isaiah 9, is broken shalom. Isaiah 8.22, they will look to the earth, but behold, distress, darkness, the gloom of anguish. They will be thrust into thick darkness. And if you go back and read Isaiah 8, Andrew kind of introduced that in week 1. It's the, he speaks to the root of their problems. And, and he says that the root of your problems, your problem isn't war. Your problem isn't that Assyria is going to come and battle you. The root of your problem, he says in chapter 8, is that you aren't fearing God. Um, and, you, and you see them turn to all kinds of things in the world for answers and for hope. They're mediums and necromancers. They're, they're desperate for shalom. They're desperate for searching for that, that completeness, that wholeness. But Isaiah is saying, you're searching for it in all the ways, and, and your problem is the same problem that you've had since Genesis 3. Your problem is that you're turning your back on God, and the result of us constantly turning our back on God is our shalom is taken away. Brokenness, wickedness, is uh, the result of that is darkness. Uh, so the people of Israel needed someone to to lead them to shalom, uh, but none of their kings were good enough. None of them could bring lasting shalom. Even David, their best king, couldn't even bring lasting peace with their neighbors, let alone with God. Um, But the beauty of Isaiah 9 is that God steps in, that God has a plan, that he's always had a plan, that shalom will come. That's verse 1, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But the latter time, 
He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. There will be no gloom for her. That, in, in other words, Israel's anguish won't last. The gloom isn't forever. That's the beauty of this passage, isn't it? That God sees his people in the middle of their rebellion, in the middle of their, their sin and their turning their back on him, in the middle of this debauchery in Israel, unbelievable things happening in there, child sacrifice and just doing all kinds of stuff. He sees them in the middle of all that. Judgment is coming. Assyria is just around the corner. They're, they're going to come and crush them. Death and destruction and exile are on the way. And in the middle of all that, God speaks. God promises redemption. He promises shalom. He tells them, this will not last. It will not always be like this. I will move my people from gloom to glory, from darkness to light. Um, God sees us in the middle of our sin. This is our story. God doesn't just leave us to sort it out on our own. And that's so good. He comes for us. He pursues us in love with a way of making things right again. And you see this even all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve reject God, and in the middle of their shame and their guilt and their rebellion, God straight away promises salvation. What an outrageous message of hope that even though we turn our backs on God, He doesn't turn His back on us. Even though we reject Him, He doesn't reject us. In the middle of our sin, in the depths of our rejection, when we run and hide from him, he comes after us. That's the message of Christmas, isn't it? It's amazing. That's what Advent is about. God pursuing us in our sin. God chasing after us, even in the depths of our rejection. God pursues us in his great love. The word that has no beginning, the word that is God himself, puts on flesh and dwells among us. He leaves the glory of heaven and enters into our darkness. And he lives here, fully God, but fully human, experiencing the frailty of this life, the weakness of our world, being tired, thirsty, hungry, and sick, cold, living a life of rejection and shame. Why would he do that? Because of his great love for us. Like that song we sing, what love, my God, would bring you down to earth? What love would bring you down to earth? What king would take the low and lowly birth? Yet to this dark and broken place you came to sleep beneath the stars that you made. Jesus, God the Son, came to earth, entered into this darkness for one reason, because he loves you. That's the core of our faith, isn't it? That God pursues us. And that, that is, again, Romans 5, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were turning our backs on him and rejecting him, he comes and he dies for us. That's his love for you. That's how he proves his love for you. And the core of the good news of Jesus is that while we were enemies, God comes and he makes peace with us at a great cost to himself. You need to remember that. You need to understand that for the first time. And listen, God... Some of you might think you're beyond God's forgiveness. Um, maybe there's something in your past um, that God could never forgive. Maybe, the, maybe you feel so unworthy, so filthy, so unlovable 
that there's no way God could ever love you. That's the complete opposite message of Christmas. Okay? The message of Christmas is that God loves you so much that he took on flesh to live as one of us so that he could die as one of us so that he could forgive the sins of all of us. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Um, that's us, okay? Put that, that's, he's, uh, we are the ones who walk in darkness. We are the ones who dwell in deep darkness. And, and we are the ones who this great light shines upon. Um, listen to what John says in John three nineteen. John kind of zooms in on what Isaiah 9-2 tells us, and he kind of expounds and he gives us more detail on these people who walk in darkness. Um, he says, the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light because uh, lest his works be exposed. Let me read that again. The light comes into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed. So John says it's because of our sinful hearts, it's because of this condition of rebellion that has been passed down to us from our first parents, Adam and Eve, that we actually prefer the darkness. We actually love darkness rather than light, but light comes into the world and shines on us and exposes our sin. So we try to hide our sin in the darkness. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did, isn't it? You read that story, uh, after they had broken shalom with God, what did they do? They hid. They, they, they ran and they, and they hid in the bushes. That's what it means to walk in darkness. We, we walk in darkness because we don't want our sin exposed. Just like the Israelites, we walk in darkness because of our rejection of God and our rebellion has led us to dwell in a land of deep darkness. That's what we do. Um, Sometimes we can maybe think that we are kind of just lost in the darkness, but we're looking for God, we're, we're looking for the light, and somehow it's not our fault that we're in the land of darkness. That's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that we were in darkness because we rejected God. The darkness, the, the brokenness is the result of our rebellion. But the beauty is that it's into that rebellion it's into that rejection that God has shined on us. It's because of His grace that He has shined His great light on us and exposed our need of Him. He, he shined on us because He loved us. He shined on us because he, he loved us even though we rejected Him. We broke shalom with God, but God says, regardless of that, I'm going to make peace with them again. Even though they reject me and rebel against me, I'm bringing my shalom. That's what Isaiah 9 is about. I'm going to bring my shalom. And look at verses 3 to 5. Just want to, it kind of shows us what this peace that God brings will be like. There are three things that God does for us when he brings his shalom. Verse 3, he multiplies the nation. Major theme in, in Old Testament reminds you of God's promise to Abraham that the nation of Israel would, would be the light to the nations so that, God would come, so that the people would come to God. Uh, salvation would, would come to all the nations through the Messiah who himself would come from the nation of Israel. And um, so 
God's intention was never that just like one nation would be his people, that one, one uh, tribe would be his people, but rather that the whole world would come to know him again. And this kingdom of God will be made up of all nations. And this is what it, he says when he will multiply the nation. The people of God will increase in number. They will be made up of every people from every nation on earth. You see the, this future glory of this in Revelation 7 where John says, And this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? But it means that this, this salvation, this this isn't a Western thing, okay? It's not a, uh, it's not a unionist thing. It's not a United Kingdom, United Ireland thing. The kingdom of God is made up of every nation, of every tribe, of every language. That's the whole point of shalom. That's what real world, world peace looks like. All the people in all their diversity, just the way God created them, gathered in unity, worshiping the Lamb who was slain. The Prince of Peace will multiply the nation. The second thing he does when he brings shalom is he breaks the power of oppression. Verse 4, for the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Um, When he says you have broken them on the day of Midian, he's pointing back to um, this story in Judges 7 where the people of Israel were being oppressed by the Midianites and God raised up Gideon to defeat them. Gideon's this unlikely hero uh, long story short, he whittles his troops down to 300 men, and, and they defeat a giant army. Um, won't go into all, of, all the details, but in verse 22 uh, of Judges 7 says, The Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. Um, the point of that story is that Gideon and these 300 men defeat this entire army, and it was the Lord that accomplished it. And that they defeated Israel's oppressor with the power of God. That it was God's power that, that um, brought victory. And this is what God has promised he will do through this Messiah. Jesus comes, though, and he breaks the ultimate oppression, which is the oppression of sin. So every type of oppression is a result of sin. And when Jesus died and rose again and ascended to heaven, he broke the power of sin. So that right now in this life, we can... We face persecution. We face oppression. Uh, we don't do nearly as much as our brothers and sisters in, in other parts of the world. Um, but the oppression of sin is done. The, the power of sin has been broken. And remember what we talked about last week, or uh, two weeks ago when we looked at mighty God, that you may feel the oppression of sin in your life today. And maybe you're struggling with that same sin over and over again. But the good news is that if you're trusting in Jesus, the power of sin is broken in your life. Remember, it's his power in your weakness, though. It's you coming to him daily and asking him to fight on your behalf. Um, we won't get into that again. We get these pockets of shalom, do we, um, here and now? But, but listen, our hope is that one day soon, Jesus will come again and evil and oppression will be done away with forever. Chains he shall break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. God multiplies the nations. He breaks the rod of, of our oppressor. Uh, and thirdly, he turns destruction into construction. Look at verse 5. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle to mold, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Did you catch that? How amazing is that? It's something that's nearly unbelievable, isn't it? Isaiah has this vision 
of the future, and he sees a time when God has ended all war. And I say that's nearly unbelievable because uh, there's not a person sitting in this room that has known uh, a time when there was not ongoing war and conflict. Since the beginning of our time here on earth, humans have constantly killed one another. It's what we do. We break shalom, uh, but look at what God is going to do in verse 5. Every boot worn in battle, every bloody garment is going to be burned and they will be turned into fuel for the fire. So more than just putting an end to the destruction of war, this Prince of Peace is going to do something constructive here. He's going to give us some resources. These, these boots from battle, these cloaks dripping in blood will be used as fuel for the fire. And, and fire is used to, to cook food to feed people. Fire is used to, to make bricks to build houses. Fire is used to get warmth. They create heat and light. You see the same thing in Isaiah 2. When God judges the world, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. These, these instruments of war will be turned into gardening tools, something useful and resourceful. And no nation, will, uh, nation shall not lift up sword against another nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That's what happens when God brings shalom. He turns destruction into construction. That's that idea's Bible of peace, of shalom. It's not the absence of conflict only. It's the presence of something better in its place. This is God's plan for the world. This is how he intended creation to be. This is what the world will look like when he ushers in his kingdom, his government of peace, when shalom is restored forever. When things are set back into place the way they are meant to be. Um, so, again, we, we long for that because that's what you were created for. You were created for Eden. You weren't created for this place. This brokenness, this darkness, that's, that's not your home. The, 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 the darkness and the brokenness. And Paul talks about this in, his, in 2 Corinthians 5. This, he talks about this conflict within himself to, to be at home. And he, he likens this broken earthly place as a tent. It's this temporary dwelling place. But he says our, our home, our permanent home is, is with God. It's this kind of dwelling house, not a tent, but a house that God builds himself for us. It's we're meant to dwell. But he says in the meantime, when we're in our tent, he says in 2 Corinthians 5 that we groan, that we are burdened, that this brokenness, this lack of shalom is burdensome. And he says, we long to be at home with the Lord. We long to be in Eden where things are meant to be, to experience the way things are meant to be, what we were created for. He says, in the meantime, while he's waiting for that home, this, this advent, he says, we're of good courage. So we're in this temporary tent dwelling place. It's broken, there's groaning, it's burning some, but we have good courage, he says. We make it our aim to please him. He says, while we're away from our home, we walk by faith, not by sight. What is he talking about? How is he able to have good courage while he's groaning and burdened in this broken place? He's, he's only able to do that because he has a hope of a future shalom. He, he has a hope that one day Jesus, this Prince of Peace, will come and restore shalom. He will lift our burdens completely. He'll stop the groaning once and for all. And we will live in our eternal home with God in perfect peace forever. 
That's why Paul can, can, can be content and, and rejoicing and of good courage. That's the message of Advent, isn't it? Holding on to hope that, that God will keep his promises to bring his people out of darkness into light, to bring us from gloom to glory, even though that's not what we're experiencing just yet. That's the vision of future peace that Isaiah is writing down. Um, how does he do that, though? How, how will this shalom be restored? Verse 6 again, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Don't miss that word for. It's little, but it's so important. It's the key to understanding all that we've just said. That, that word for means because or, or since. It, it's, it's the reason for all of what we've just talked about, this, this glorious shalom, the, the multiplying the nations, the increase of the joy, the rejoicing, the oppression that will be broken, the destruction that will be turned to construction, all of that is only possible for or because this child is born, because the son is given, that this one who will come and will carry the, the government of the universe on his shoulder, this one who will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's because His government of peace will last forever. It's for this child is born. The, the Savior coming from heaven is Prince of Peace. It's Sar Shalom. That Sar, that Prince, it's not like any Prince that we have in like Buckingham Palace. This is a real ruler. This is, this is a, a leader, a chief or overseer, this Messiah is the ruler of peace. He will establish shalom and peace forever. You get a, a, a deeper sense of what he's talking about here in Micah 5. In Micah 5, you get more details on this Messiah who would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5, verse 4 says, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, they shall dwell with, with peace secu- uh, securely, for he, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, this is multiplying of the nations, and then he says, and he shall be their peace. So the Savior who is born, this child who is given, will himself be our peace. This is... This sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. So the, the hope of the Bible isn't that this Messiah will come and, and, and bring world peace through a new set of teachings, through a new set of values, through, through a new idea. It's far from it. The, the hope of the Bible is that our peace will be a person, that he will be our peace. Shalom, the, the way things are meant to be, Unbroken, complete, whole. Isaiah is saying God is sending a person. And, and in that person, you will discover the way things are meant to be. It's in this person who is coming that you will discover the person you are meant to be. You will discover the way the world ought to be. He will be your peace. And so remember what they were doing in chapter 8. They were searching for that wholeness. They were searching for that, that completeness, for answers and all sorts of things. We do that too, don't we? We search for that shalom, that, that completeness in everywhere. 
in fitness and in religion and in relationships and in business and food and sex, everywhere. Desperate for this wholeness. And Isaiah is saying it's not found in any of those things. It's found in a person. You want that peace? You want that wholeness, that completeness that you're so desperate for? Go to this person because he will be your peace. Only in him will you discover the way things are meant to be. Again, Luke 2, this is the way his birth was announced to the shepherds. For unto you is born this day a Savior, Christ the Lord. And that multitude of heavenly angels sing out, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace with those whom he has pleased. What glorious news, isn't it? Finally, finally, this Prince of Peace that they've been waiting for 700 years for um, is born. For unto you is born. Hey, take that personally, okay? Unto you is born. Jesus came for you. Everything Jesus did was to restore your shalom with God and with one another and with the world. But notice what the angel says about this peace. You, you might be kind of used to um, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. That's the Christmas card version. That's, that's the King James version. But all other modern translations get it right. And it's peace among those whom he is pleased. You see, this peace is for those who have received favor with God. And without that, we don't have peace. It's for those with whom he is pleased, with whom they have received favor. Um, what's he talking about? How, how, do we, how do we gain that favor then? It's a huge important uh, question. Um, talking about faith here, and we're talking about your trust, where your hope lies. Um, are you trusting Jesus? Is your faith in him? Is your faith in him to be your peace? And um, without trusting Jesus, Without receiving him as your Lord, there is no peace. With Jesus, we have shalom, we have completeness, we have things the way they are meant to be. But outside of him, what do we have? We have what we've always had, striving, restlessness, conflict with one another, with each other, and within ourselves, a broken relationship with God. Augustine says, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in them, in him. In other words, he says, there can be no peace without the Prince of Peace. There can be no peace unless you're willing to be governed by this governor of peace. Paul talks about this in Romans 5. In Romans 5, verse 1, he explains what it takes to have favor with God and then therefore attain that peace. And he says, Uh, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And Paul's saying, in order to attain that peace of God, you need to be justified by faith. And what does that mean? 
justification, it means God, it's God's righteous act in removing the guilt and the penalty of our sin while declaring uh, uh, the ungodly to be righteous. So justification is God declaring you who are guilty to be innocent. And Paul says that justification happens when we place our faith in Jesus. And it's then that we have peace with God through Jesus. It's then he becomes our peace. It's through him. It's when we declare our need of him. It's when we throw ourselves onto him that we gain access into this grace. Look how he says that. And it's, it's only then that we rejoice in the glory of God. We rejoice rather than cower and fear and hide in the shadows like Adam and Eve did. We hide in the shadows because of our, we don't want our sin to be exposed. But when we throw our faith on Jesus and what he's done for us, he becomes our peace. It's when we are justified by faith that we have peace with God. So then you might be that kind of person that just kind of keeps asking why. I like those kind of people. Keep asking why. Keep asking how. Those are good questions. How does Jesus accomplish this? If I'm meant to put my faith in him and that justifies me and that brings me peace, that moves me from being guilty to being innocent, how does that work? How does this Prince of Peace accomplish this? Turn over to Isaiah 53. This is where we'll end. And the message so far has been that we are thrust into thick darkness. Our experience is brokenness, and the, result, uh, the reason for that is because we have turned our backs on God. Um, remember last week, and we were looking at Everlasting Father, and we looked at Psalm 103, and we pointed out that God doesn't ignore our sin. So this, this, this loving God is also a just God, um, it, that, that sin needs to be dealt with. He doesn't just overlook that sin. Uh, but the beauty of Christmas is that that is exactly what this, this Prince of Peace came to do. Isaiah 53 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Can't talk about Christmas without talking about Easter, can you? You can't talk about the manger without talking about the cross. And this is the whole reason the Son came to earth. To show his love for us. And that while we were sinners, he dies for us. So you're right, that that rebellion, that rejection of God, our sins need to be dealt with. It's because of our sins that we cannot have shalom with God. It's it's that idea, again, remember, of, of damaging your neighbor's crops, and a price needs to be paid there in order to restore that shalom. And the story of Christmas is that Christ came into the world to pay the price for your sins, the price that you could never pay, the Son comes, and He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. 
By his wounds are we healed. It's placing your faith in what he's accomplished for you on the cross. That he poured out his love for you on that cross. In order to pay the penalty of your sins. In order to make peace on your behalf. Placing your faith in him and what he's done for you justifies you. It's a gift And it brings you into this kingdom of peace that will never end. It's an amazing scripture, isn't it? This is what shalom costs. This is the price of peace with God. The beauty of Christmas is that Jesus pays that price gladly. Because he loves you endlessly. This is what we celebrate Christmas as Christians. This is, this is the only thing that makes Christmas merry, isn't it? Forget about the parties. Forget about the, the, the presents. Forget about the, the, the tree. Forget about the perfect, pristine living room in the morning. Those are all good things, but they are worthless unless we grasp this one thing, that Christmas is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about Him coming to the world to be your peace, to make peace for you because you could never make peace. You hear that in the movies, right? Someone's about to die. Make, peace, make sure you make peace with your God. You can't make peace with your God. It's the beauty of Christmas is that he makes peace for you. On the cross, by his wounds, you are healed. Let's stand. I want to ask you to close your eyes. We're just going to reflect for a wee minute. Just be still for a minute. How's your shalom? How's your peace? And maybe you are, maybe you're someone who feels that deep need for wholeness, that big hole in in your life, searching for that everywhere, but nothing satisfies. Maybe this morning, for the first time, you need to be justified by faith. You need to throw your trust onto Jesus and what he's accomplished for you on the cross that only he can make peace on your behalf. How amazing is that? What a gift. And all you have to do is say thank you. Um, I, I, I desperately don't want to preach um, a kind of Christmas card Jesus this morning. Um, I don't want to preach a, hey, trust in Jesus and everything's going to be great. (laughs) It's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus says, the world's going to come up against you. But in John 14, he says, 
peace I leave with you. He says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. He says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He says this just before he leaves his disciples to go to heaven. He says, my peace I give you. It's going to be different from anything else you can find in this world. Cling to it. And Paul says in, in Philippians 4, the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And your life won't be without trouble, um, but he does give you a peace that is beyond comprehension. That one day, it will be worth it. And maybe you are um, a follower of Jesus and, and your shalom, though, feels like it's breaking down. You're struggling. Um, you're unhappy. And you need to be reminded of the peace that he brings into your life. Um, let that message fill your heart again. And there's no... Oh, there's not, we can never preach this simple gospel message enough. Um, it's the reason for Christmas. It's the reason for uh, the church. It's the reason that you uh, are here today. Um, let that fill your heart up again. We're going to worship Jesus um, and thank him and praise him uh, like we will one day in perfect shalom, this lamb who was slain for us, this one who bears these wounds um, these peace wounds that make peace with us. Um, it's all about you, Jesus. We thank you. Jesus, you came into this world because you love us. You came in this world because you saw us in our brokenness and our rebellion. You came because you loved us. You came to, to make a way for us. There's this light shining in the darkness. How amazing is that? I pray for those who are struggling this morning. I pray for those who are lost. I pray for those who need you from the first time. I pray for those who need to cling on to you for the 10,000th time in their life. Um, thank you for that peace that passes all understanding, that even when things are dark and deep in these valleys, that you are our hope. You have a peace that the world can't explain, that the world cannot give us we can find that only in you Jesus so help us to come to you Lord help us to abide with you daily you're where we find our rest you're where we find our peace you're where we find our power come Lord Jesus I'm just gonna we're gonna go into a time of worship I'm gonna end with Colossians 1 19 to 20 this is Christmas in a verse um, Paul says for in him Jesus all the fullness of God is, is pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's praise him for that.